Well, I meant to explain during the announcements, um, if you haven't heard the story yet, I agreed to let Full Armor shave off my beard if they raised $75,000 in their fundraiser, and they raised it, and they shaved it. And so uh, it's on its way back as quickly as I can get it back, so I appreciate you uh, putting up with my scruffiness in the meantime. So um, just want to clear the air on that, just so... Uh, if anyone's wondering what's that, what that's all about, uh, but I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to First, or excuse me, to Romans chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 19 this morning. And uh, as we've been making our way through this book, and particularly through this chapter, uh, we have seen Paul encouraging us and instructing us about how to navigate differences of opinion and differences of conviction in the church. And what I want to highlight this morning as we look at uh, a new paragraph in this chapter, starting in verse 13, is the wisdom that Paul wants us to have for navigating these difficult decisions and these uh, sometimes difficult Uh, differences of opinion, differences of conviction. Now, one of the things that wisdom does is wisdom helps us to decide between competing claims. So sometimes there are two legitimate claims upon your life and upon your behavior, and you cannot do them both. And so you have to decide which one weighs more heavily in the balance in this particular situation. So let me give you a a really common, fairly simple example. Your wife is in labor and needs to get to the hospital immediately. The speed limit has a claim on you and your wife has a claim on you, right? The, The law says what it says, but there's also a medical emergency. Which one of those weighs more heavily in that situation? Those are competing claims. They're both legitimate. They're both important. They're both significant. But which one wins, so to speak, in that particular moment? It takes wisdom to discern and know which one weighs most heavily. Now, Proverbs, of course, is, is a book full of wisdom, and it gives us a, uh, a particularly poignant taste of how this aspect of wisdom works in Proverbs chapter 26. There's a pair of verses, you don't have to turn there for this, um, there's a pair of verses in Proverbs 26 that helps us see this. In Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the very next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Answer a fool according to his folly, or don't answer a fool according to his folly? If these were laws, we would say there's a contradiction there. Because you just said, thou shalt not do this, and now you're saying thou shalt do the same thing you just told me not to do. But Proverbs are not laws. Proverbs are memorable, brief statements that describe for us the way the world usually works and the way we ought to conduct ourselves in it. 
right? They're not laws, they're general principles, right? They're pithy sayings about how to live wisely in the world. And so what's going on in these two Proverbs is on the one hand, we're being told you don't want to answer a fool according to his folly, because if you do, you'll become foolish like him. But on the other hand, you do want to answer a fool according to his folly, because if somebody doesn't tell him he's foolish or show him he's foolish, he's not ever going to know it. So what do you do? Well, wisdom teaches that in general, you don't want to answer a fool according to his folly. You don't want that to become your habit. Because if you make a habit of answering fools foolishly, you will become foolish. But occasionally, somebody has to answer a fool according to his folly, or they're not ever going to get wise. So sometimes it's appropriate for you to answer a fool according to his folly. Just don't do it all the time. Again, wisdom helps us weigh when is it right for me to answer this foolish person foolishly, and when should I just let him go his way? It's not always easy to know. It's an issue of discernment. It's an issue of wisdom. Now, when we are reading Paul's letters... One of the things that crops up again and again is the competing claims of liberty in Christ and love for your brother. There are things that we as Christians have the right to do, have the liberty to do, have the freedom to do in Christ. But some of our brothers and sisters don't feel the same liberty of conscience, aren't as convinced, aren't as sure that they are free to do those things now that they are in Christ. And so loving our brother in those situations might mean not exercising our liberty. So which one of those should we do when we've got a competing, we've got two competing claims. Christ has purchased this freedom for me. This is a precious thing. Should I not exercise it? And then on the other hand, this is a brother, as Paul's going to say, for whom Christ died. Is it worth exercising my liberty if it's going to harm him, lead him into dangerous territory or even into sin? What are we supposed to do? Paul wrestles with this at length. In uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 and 10. Right? We heard some of that in 1 Corinthians 8 already in the scripture reading this morning. Um, you see it in chapter 9 as well where he says, uh, he says about himself and um, a fellow um, a co-worker of his. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And then he says... If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And what Paul is talking about there, and you can see it if you read the whole chapter, is he's saying, look, I'm an apostle. Don't I have a right to get paid for my work? Can I eat and drink? Not at my own expense, right? Can't you provide that for me, these churches that I'm ministering to? Can I bring along a believing wife and she be supported by my ministry too? I mean, Cephas does that. Peter does that. And yet he says, I'm not, 
I'm not pressing this right upon you because I would rather be able to preach to you free of charge, so to speak, so that I don't put any hindrance between uh, somebody coming to the gospel uh, and, and ble- believing in Christ because they think, well, I think Paul's just in this for the money. And so I don't, I don't want anybody to think that. So Paul says, I'm, I'm not pressing this right. I have the right, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to make you do this because I, I'd rather give up that right and see more people come to faith. Later, in, at the end of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, at the end of this argument, he's, he sums this all up in a passage that part of it is really familiar to us. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So Paul uses himself as an example to say, but I have lots of rights, lots of liberties that I could um, make claims about and insist that you, uh, you know, fulfill for me or whatever. But I'd rather not, because I'm afraid if I do, that it will put a stumbling block in the path of, of some and I'd rather go without all that. I'd rather do whatever I can not to put a stumbling block in, in front of anybody so that more people will come to Christ. Now, as we look at Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 13 and 19, we're going to see the same kind of principle at work. We've seen in this chapter that Paul is dealing with not a major doctrinal difference. They're not arguing about whether or not Jesus is God. He's really clear about that. The whole New Testament's really clear about that. That's a non-negotiable. He's not arguing about really clear black and white moral issues like whether or not murder is wrong or whether or not sexual immorality is wrong. Those are really clear. Paul and the rest of the New Testament are really clear about how Christians should think about those things and how we should deal with those things. He's talking about issues that are uh, a little bit more fuzzy for people and um, even if there are Bible verses that we can build our convictions on, Christians are going to disagree, and, and that's okay. And we ought not to judge each other about them, he says. We ought not to look down on one another, despise one another for those differences. These are areas where we just have to agree to disagree and love each other in spite of our differences. And so here's what he says, starting in verse 13. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So here's what Paul says in verse 13. There's a kind of judgment we should not make, and there's a kind of judgment 
we should make. He's just been saying in verses 10 to 12, don't judge anybody over these different convictions, differences of opinion, because God is going to sort all that out in the end. Everyone's going to have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Everyone's going to have to give an account to God. And so God will sort these things out. These things that we are not required to agree upon in order to be Christians, just don't worry about those things, right? God will sort that out. So he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Sounds like the church in Rome had been pretty judgmental about this stuff. What's wrong with you? Why don't, why don't you know that it's okay for you to eat meat? Why are you sticking to only vegetables? Don't you trust God or something like that? You know, we can sort of read between the lines. So Paul says, stop that. Do not judge one another over these things anymore. But rather, and here's a place where Paul's, uh, Paul's wordplay can't quite be brought out in uh, our English translations. But what he says is, don't pass judgment on one another. Instead, make this judgment or make this decision is what most of our translations say. Decide to do this. Instead of judging somebody, make this judgment for yourself. Decide that you will not put a stumbling block or a hindrance in front of any of your brothers. Right? Don't dis- determine that instead of looking down your nose at your brother who you don't think uh, their faith is as strong as yours maybe or you think their convictions are wrong or whatever, instead of looking down your nose at them, despising them, judging them, instead decide, you know what, I'm not going to do anything that would harm them, anything that would cause them to stumble, anything that would lead them to violate their conscience. Even if I think their conscience is not on the right track on this issue, I don't want to cause them to go against their conscience by anything that I do. Resolve, Paul says, to live that way. Instead of judging each other all the time, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Um, There's another way of saying, love your brother instead of judging him. Be loving instead of judgment. And and then Paul says in in verse 14, he, he hasn't really come out and said yet which side of this debate he's on. I mean, he's given us a hint by saying, you know, one group is strong in faith or one one group is weak in faith. I think later he mentions the other group is strong in faith. So he's kind of hinted at it. But now in verse 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. One of the issues that they're dealing with is whether or not it's okay to eat meat or whether they should eat only vegetables. We don't know the details, but it probably has to do with some people in the church thinking they should still abide by the Old Testament laws regarding clean and unclean food. could also have to do with uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols or not, like Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians. Um, But that was one of the issues. Another one was whether or not um, certain days should be treated differently, like perhaps the Sabbath or other holy days, or whether you can treat every day the same. Uh, Later, he's going to mention drinking wine, right? Alcohol, is that okay, not okay? These were issues that people in the church were apparently divided over and disagreeing over. And Paul's saying, 
Don't worry about that stuff. You don't have to all agree. You don't have to all have the same opinion. You can get along and love each other even if your consciences uh, are not bound to the same degree on these issues. But now he says, look, I'm convinced it's okay to eat whatever you want to eat. You can eat meat. I'm persuaded, he says, in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. And Jesus himself taught this. You can see in the, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, there's this passage where uh, Mark says, Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? And then Mark adds this little comment. He says, thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus is saying, look, you know, according to the Old Testament law, there were certain things you weren't allowed to eat. And if you ate them, they defiled you. But I'm saying to you now, those things don't defile you because they don't affect your heart, right? They don't affect who you really are. It's just food. And so Mark says, Jesus, in teaching this, declared all foods clean. The Old Testament food law is no longer binding. Peter had a similar experience in Acts chapter 10. Remember when he sees that big sheet-like thing coming down out of heaven in his vision, and it's full of animals, and Jesus speaks from heaven and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way, I don't eat unclean stuff. I know better. But he sees the vision, I think, three times, and he eventually comes to understand what what that means and whatnot. So Paul says, nothing's unclean. You can eat pork. You can eat shrimp. You can eat catfish. You can eat all that stuff that you weren't supposed to eat according to the Old Testament law. I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean in itself, Paul says. But, he says, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So after he says, I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean in itself, this is not a mic drop moment for Paul, right? Like, end of argument. Everybody get in line. Everybody get on board. Do, you know, start eating meat. Having a barbecue next Sunday. And everybody's got to come. And everybody's got to eat, you know. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm persuaded you can eat anything. It's, it's, it's all clean. But if you are not so persuaded, if there's still something in your conscience that's saying, hey, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, man, I was under that Old Testament law for a long time. I'm just not sure I can eat bacon to the glory of God. You know, I I don't think I can go there yet. If you can't go there yet, Paul says, then don't. If you think it's unclean, then for you it is. If you don't have a clear conscience about eating it, you shouldn't eat it. Because by eating it, you will be sinning. Even though it's not a sin in and of itself... Everybody else who's eating it isn't sinning, if they're eating with a clear conscience. But if you eat with an unclear conscience, then you are sinning. So that's why we've got to um, respect each other's convictions here. 
Right? This is why we've got to uh, weigh these competing claims of, of love and liberty. Because while something on the one hand might not be wrong in and of itself, if we persuade somebody to do it who thinks that it's wrong, we're causing them to sin. We're leading them into sin. Even though the thing itself is not sinful, we're encouraging them to go against their conscience. And so for, for them, they are rebelling against the Lord. They are, they are sinning against the Lord. Right? So that's why he says in verse 15, he says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So if you offend your brother or cause your brother to stumble by what you eat in front of him, you may be exercising your liberty, but you're not loving your brother. And for Paul, it's really clear which one of those claims wins out when there's a question. Liberty or love? Paul says it's love. Love wins out. Love your brother. Even if that means you curtail your liberty while you're with him. Yeah, it's okay for you to do it, but if you're with him and he doesn't feel okay doing it, then you don't need to do it. Right? If you know that your brother in Christ is convinced it's not okay to eat meat, then don't invite him over for a barbecue. You can have a barbecue, but don't invite him over. Right? If you know, for example, let's say you've got a brother who, who really thinks I shouldn't do um, any work or any kind of, you know, like what I should do on the Sabbath is really limited. Go to church, you know, spend time with my family, eat, rest, but like no leisure, fun stuff, no, no recreation, no, you know, whatever. If they feel like, for example, they, they don't feel comfortable going fishing on a Sunday afternoon because they feel like that wouldn't honor the Sabbath. You might be like, I, I, I don't think that bothers the Lord at all. I, we're, we're not required to keep the Sabbath. But if your brother feels like, that's part of how he's supposed to honor the Lord on the Sabbath. You might be convinced he's wrong. He might be convinced you're wrong. That's fine. But don't invite him to go fishing on Sunday. And don't pull your boat up into the church parking lot and say, Oh, sorry, you can't come fishing with me. Sure will be fun. Because what are you doing? You're tempting him to go against his conscience and to sin. Your liberty's not worth that. That's not loving. You're not caring for your brother when you do that. That's why he says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't teach your brother to go against what he thinks Christ wants him to do by enticing him by your behavior. You're not doing something that's sinful in and of itself, but the way you're treating your brother is sinful, is it's not loving. In verse 16, he says, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, this verse is, is tricky. I, I'm not 100% convinced I, I understand what Paul is saying here. Let me tell you what I think he's saying, and then you weigh it for yourself. I think here he's speaking to um, those who 
do feel like it's okay to eat meat and treat every day the same and whatever. And he's saying to them, sort of on the other hand, don't let your weaker brothers say that what you regard as good, like eating meat and whatever, that it's actually evil, it's bad. Don't, you know, don't let them speak against it either. But I don't know why he starts that with the word so. It doesn't really seem to follow from what he said before. So I don't know if that's what he means there or not. So that's all I'll say about that. But in verse 17, this is a great verse. Verse 17 gets us to the heart of the matter, the heart of the issue that Paul is helping us to see here. He says, and this this is a good verse to be familiar with. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't find kingdom of God language in Paul very often. It's usually in the, we usually find it in the Gospels, right? Where Jesus says, for example, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven just means, um, it's like somebody has summarized it as God's saving reign. God is king, he saves his people, and those who trust him are part of the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God comes, people get healed, people get forgiven, people get new life. That's what Jesus was showing through his ministry. When when I come as the king and I bring the kingdom, here's the kind of thing that's going to happen. I'm going to raise the dead, I'm going to drive out demons, I'm going to heal the sick, I'm going to forgive sinners. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what the kingdom of God does. And it will come in its fullness when Jesus returns and we have the new heavens and the new earth and death is no more and sin is no more and all that. But right now, if we're Christians, we're a part of that kingdom. Right? We talk about being the family of God because God is our father and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're also members of the kingdom of God where Jesus is king and we are all citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Paul says, here's what the kingdom of God is about. It is not about what we can eat or drink. That's um, an implication of the kingdom, so to speak. Like, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, we can eat and drink these things. But that's not why he came. He didn't come so you could eat bacon. But I'm glad we can eat bacon since he came, right? But that's not why he came. He came so that we could have our sins forgiven and be declared righteous. He came so we could have peace with God, and being reconciled to God, we can now also have peace with one another, because we've been reconciled to the same God through the same cross, and so now we recognize our equality right, with one another, and we can love one another and have peace with one another, rather than being hostile and divided against, because of all these other things. We're now realize that what unites us is greater than what used to divide us. He came so that even in the midst of our sorrow and trouble and hardship in this life, we can have a deep-seated joy given to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And you guys are fighting over food and days of the week. What's the problem? And and again, I'm not saying this to y'all. I'm saying this is what Paul is saying to Rome. Because I've said it all through this chapter and I'll say it again. I have been tremendously blessed and encouraged by how united this church has remained in the most divisive year I can remember. 
right? So I'm not, I'm not yelling that at you. I'm just, I'm just saying this is what Paul is saying to them, right? What is the deal, right? Remember what is most important. The reason we are Christians is not so that we can have all the meat we want on the table. The reason we are Christians is because we recognize we were sinners and we recognize Jesus was the Savior. And Paul and others preached and said, Christ has come so that if you'll repent of your sins and you'll trust in Christ, you'll be justified. God will declare you righteous and wipe out your sin. And he'll bring together Jews and Gentiles and men and women and slaves and free people and bring them all into one body who all confess one Lord, who all are filled with one spirit so that our lives are now characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. That's a whole lot more important than what you do or don't do on Sunday, what you drink or don't drink, what you eat or don't eat. That's just not that big of a deal. It's what Paul is saying. Let's remember what is a big deal. This is one of the reasons why it's great to have something like um, the Apostles' Creed or the Baptist Faith and Message, these confessions of faith that remind us what we all believe, what we're all united around, and what things don't really matter. Right? Why isn't that in the Apostles' Creed? Why isn't that in the Baptist Faith and Message? Well, because it's just not that important. What is in there is really important. What we believe about God, what we believe about Christ, what we believe about the Spirit, what we believe about salvation, etc. Those are the things that are most important, and those are the things that unite us. The other things don't have the same level of importance. Right, so that's what the kingdom is about, Paul, uh, Paul says. And so verse, in verse 18 he says, Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words... Anybody who is in this because they have received the righteousness of God, they have uh, received peace with God through faith in Christ, they have received joy from the Holy Spirit, if that's the kind of person they are, if that's the kind of um, uh, faith, that's what they have, uh, they have faith in Christ, and that's, that's the gospel they received, and that's the way that they, they're living out of that reality, out of that gospel, out of that grace from God. If that's how they serve, God has received them. God has accepted them. And God is not all that concerned about the other stuff, whether or not they're eating meat, whether or not they're you know, keeping certain days is holy or, or that stuff does not determine whether or not they are right with God. It just doesn't. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable and approved by acceptable to God and approved by men. And then here's the conclusion he comes to in verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Since Everyone who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. Let's not focus on those things that separate us and divide us that God says are not that important. Instead, let us work at being at peace with one another. Let's find a way to sit at the same table even if we don't agree about what ought to be on it. Let's find a way to worship together, even if when we walk out the doors on Sunday, we disagree about what we should do with the rest of the day. Let's find a way 
to love each other, to be at peace with one another, Paul says, to build one another up, whatever serves to bring about mutual upbuilding. Let's focus on the things, let's do the things that bring us together, that unite us, that help us grow in Christ, that help us mature in the faith, that help us um, become more like Jesus. Don't focus on the things that separate you and tear one another down. Can't believe you think that. Can't believe you don't feel free to do that. Can't believe you do feel free to do that. That divides and it tears down. Paul says, no, our, our focus ought to be the opposite. Do what you can to pursue peace with one another and to build each other up so that together we grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. And if we will, if we will remember what the kingdom of God is really about, what the gospel is really about, and we will keep that central and keep that our focus and not focus on the peripheral, unimportant things, then that will help us to love our brothers well and to lay down our liberty at times when we need to so that we can see our brother grow in the faith instead of causing them to stumble. Help them to become more like Christ instead of leading them to dishonor Christ by insisting on our liberty. And that love for our brothers is what the Christian life is all about. Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14, all through here we've seen week after week the theme of the Christian life is Love. Love to God, of course, and love for our brothers. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to love each other well.